Well, good morning. Thank you. Band, choir, what do you call this group? Ensemble. Band. Yeah, I enjoyed the worship. Thank you, Jake. Good introduction. He did emphasize the fact that I'm old. That's truth, so might as well tell it. Uh, appreciate you guys. Thanks for the work you do here as an outpost of the kingdom in uh, this part of the world. It's always good to have some of you out at the ranch. And good to have the elders and uh, the men and the women and different things. It's always good to see you guys, so... I feel a part of you in that way, and I'm honored to be asked to be here. Uh, you know that song, The Love of God? It said that that last verse was found written on the walls of a mental institution. Could we with ink the ocean fill? If that guy was crazy, I'd like to meet him. A little of it rub off on us. Jake mentioned that I've been preaching the same message uh, for a long time. My kids used to mention that quite often. I'd say, you want to go? You want to go with me to the meeting I'm in or whatever? And they'd say, well, what are you speaking on, Dad? And the other one would say, of course you know what he's speaking on. Same thing he always speaks on. And it does relate to what that song was saying because I, and what I want to talk to you about today I grew up in a little Baptist church in South Alabama. I was taught uh, properly to be a good boy. But I thought being a good boy would get me some, some kind of leverage with God. And uh, nobody necessarily said that, but that's kind of what I picked up on. As I got older and uh, started thinking about where to go to college, what to do, I wanted to be a doctor, so I started checking out all the schools that had pre-med. Uh, my family was not very rich, so I knew I'd have to have, have to work, have scholarship, whatever, so I did. I uh, had some offers from around the country, uh, playing football at, at college level. And so I, made a, I thought I made a deal with God. Uh, I didn't know then he didn't deal. Uh, so I, I thought I'd had an understanding with him that if I would do my best and if, if he would help me be make the team and be a, a good ball player, that would give me a platform from which to speak and uh, I would be faithful to try to speak and try to influence people toward him. So I thought, I thought that was a good deal and I thought he signed off on it. Uh, I went to college, and uh, it seemed like he was keeping his deal because uh, I did start playing, and, and first my first college game, I was a starter, so I, I did play. wasn't very good, but I played as a freshman. As it went along, though, I, I got hurt somewhere in the middle, uh, well, last part of the season, and uh, had my hip kind of pulled out of joint and messed up pretty badly. And, they told me I wouldn't play football anymore. They might could get me walking again. So I was devastated by that news. And uh, 
was in the hospital for five weeks and some of that time unconscious because in the midst of it, I got double pneumonia. So I was in a mess. When I finally did wake up, I, uh, there was a consciousness of the presence of Jesus in the room and nobody else was in there. And I was very, very weak. And I woke up crying and praying and saying, God, I'm sorry. I won't, I won't be able to do what I told you I would do. I, I told you I would stand on the platform and I would preach your word and maybe some kids could come to know you. And, and nobody wants to listen to a cripple ex-football player, so I don't, I don't have anything to give you. And I don't, I'm sorry. And uh, there was a sense of the Lord's love and Jesus was there. And he said to me in a way my heart could understand, he said, you don't ever have to do anything. I love you right where you are. And I can't quit. And in that moment, my heart made a commitment. And it wasn't a commitment to do good or to do better. I just made a commitment that I wanted to know the person who loves like that. So that's what I've been doing ever since. That's why I just have one message. I had, do I know him the way I want to know him? No. I know him better than I did. And it, every glimpse I get of God, I see more of that love. And I just want other people to know it too. I know if it can ever touch you, it changes everything. So I make no apologies for having one message. I do try to use some other scriptures to, you know, get there. But basically it's one, and it's the message of the gospel. We're living in a day when uh, there's a crisis going on. It's mentioned every once in a while, but it's experienced all the time, and that is it's a crisis of hopelessness, loneliness, isolation, uh, all kinds of surveys are being picked up on by those who are measuring that. And uh, it's, it's pandemic. It's affecting everybody. It's affecting uh, work. It's affecting uh, productivity. It's affecting getting along. Uh, negotiations, politics, and whatever. We, we, we led to think if we watched the media that the big issues are the debt ceiling and the uh, Ukraine war and uh, some of the other stuff. Uh, there's, a, there's a pandemic going on of hopelessness that's just as uh, 
just as severe. <clears throat> and the alarming thing to me is that the federal government has now said that they're going to fix it. Uh, that adds to more hopelessness because uh, part of the hopelessness that's in the society is because we have been trained to trust the government to fix everything and it can't and isn't and will and won't. And uh, so it's saying, well, we'll fix this problem too. So they're telling us how to get rid of loneliness and isolation and, and get rid of hopelessness by putting more trust in, in, in the government, that, which, excuse me, but that, that ain't going to work. <laughs> uh, so, and here's the sad part to me, y'all. Y'all get, y'all, y'all. I came from Alabama, so y'all was a big word there. And uh, so I've, the last 50 years I've had to learn to speak Texan, and I still get made fun of when I go back to Alabama, and they just say, why are y'all so fond of the R? Y'all just might put an R in everything. Uh, I don't know. It's a good letter. Might as well use it. Uh, so it shouldn't surprise us that in the secular community that there's hopelessness because there's nothing permanent in this world to hope in. Uh, you hope in yourself. That's not, that's not real smart. Uh, you hope in the government. You, you hope in evolution. You hope in progress. And you, you, all that's, none of that's any good. All flesh is as grass, the Scripture says. So, but, but here's the concerning thing to me. And that is that the church has, has lost its basis of hope as well. The church is put here to give the rest of society a basis for meaning and hope. And, and uh, when we don't have hope, when we don't have a message that grants hope, then the whole world is in trouble. Because when the church gets a cold, the whole world gets pneumonia. And uh, so we're the, we're the only hope. <laughs> and, and when our hope is diminished... Then, uh, then, then everybody's in trouble. So here's, here's my thesis this morning. I want to talk to you a little bit out of the scripture. Uh, our problem, I think, is that we have a little salvation. Our concept of salvation is way too little. Uh, it's, it's basically... Uh, through the years, it has kind of been watered down to uh, to a proposition that offers people heaven and so a little help on the way if we will believe hard enough and behave good enough. In other words, it's a proposition to be believed if we will do it. It's a transaction. It's a God has done something and made it possible if you'll make this deal with him this transaction with him, you'll get something. But you have to do something first to get it. You have to take one step forward if you're going to expect him to, to do anything. And, and, and that's, uh, let, let me just say, that's not the gospel of the New Testament. It's not salvation. It's not good news. I, I, when I hear it, it makes me sick. When I hear it, it makes me tired. Uh, I hear it often because I try to listen to other people speak. But uh, uh, the good news of the salvation is that God has done everything that's necessary to save me from my sins and to restore me to the true humanity God created when he put Adam and Eve on the earth 
and that when I embrace that salvation, I can enjoy that restoration now as I wait for the culmination of it when Jesus comes again. So it's a big salvation. It's a real big salvation. And uh, it's a little salvation that doesn't give people hope. Uh, if, if my hope is that I can believe a little bit more and I can be behave a little bit better, I, I might as well quit because I'm 76. I've tried that for a long time. It doesn't work. And, and the scripture never intended for it to work. He never will let it work. So, so uh, we, we need to be aware that not, not, not well, we just need to be aware that there's a cosmic war going on and that cosmic wars, hell strategy to try to take, now listen to me, hell strategy is to try to take the edginess off the gospel. So what do you mean by that? The gospel of the New Testament created edgy people. People that caused turbulence in their, in their environment. They, they got persecuted. They were, they were uh, treated badly. Why? Because they were offering something that was so totally different than the culture they were living in that the culture oftentimes tried to expel them. But when they were allowed to stay there, they changed the culture and turned it from a pagan to a happy culture. But hell's, hell's desire is to let you be a, a good Christian, come to church and all that, but take the edginess off of your passion. So, so in his effort to do that, through all kind of stuff, there is the... Uh, the, the effort to diminish the seriousness of sin. Now, nobody wants to talk about sin anymore. Nobody wants to admit they ever done. Well, I've, I've messed up a couple of times. It's not all that bad. In fact, it's, it's not as bad as some others have done. I mean, I'm not as bad as Hitler. Well, I don't think he's the measuring stick. Well, you know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so and whatever. No, I don't think we understand that when sin came into the world, it affected absolutely everything. In the fall, through Adam and Eve, the garden was affected, the world was affected, the future was affected, everything. Why? Because it was the invitation for the powers of hell to come in and establish that order, that chaos, instead of the order of God. And sin is a big deal. And the only way you can get forgiveness of it is to own it. And when you own it, it is devastating. Because we like to make light of it. And when we make light of sin, we're making light of forgiveness. We're basically saying, God, I don't know what you were thinking, but it was a bad deal when you sent your son to die on a cross for sin. It wasn't that big. All you had to do was just go, well, it's okay, boys and girls. It's fine. I, I, I understand y'all are, are human. Just, it's okay. That's all you had to do. No, God thought that sin was such a big deal that it would cost him his son. Jesus thought it was such a big deal that he prayed in the Garden of Eden, Father, if, uh, in, the Garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be thy will, let, thy, let this cup pass from me. Is there any other way to deal with this problem that's infected the world? Is there any way to deal with it? If, uh, if, we, if we can, let's do it. And, and he said, I'll do your will. And, and Jesus had to take the, he had to take sin. He had to become sin. 
You want to see how bad sin is? Look at the cross. What caused Jesus to say, Father, can we do it? He came to die, and yet when he came to face it, it's like, oh my goodness. It's more than, more than I thought. What, what is it? Jesus was facing the fact that sin was costing him the one thing, the one thing, the very one thing that was most important to him. Conscious fellowship with the Father. And he knew that the moment he became sin, it would cost him that. So a diminishing of sin diminishes the power or the message of the cross. If, if, if sin is no big deal, then forgiveness is no big deal. But whether you, we want to admit it or not, we are guilty and we have sinned. And the only thing that will restore that is real forgiveness. And real forgiveness is embracing the grace of God. Somebody says, well, you know, my sin wasn't that big a deal. I, I, bet, I, I bet if you were to ask your wife about it, she might think it was a bigger deal. What about your kids? See, when we, we make our little deals, we don't know that what we did, was just, we just detonated a nuclear bomb in their life. So it, it is a big deal. That makes salvation a big deal. Because in salvation, Jesus forgives us of our sins. I love the story of uh, the prostitute in Luke 7, where Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to come to his house to have a meal. He did, he did, he, he, he's not a guest of honor. He's just there. He, he's there to be examined, actually. So, so Jesus goes, and he reclines at the meal, and a prostitute shows up behind him, and she starts weeping and washing his feet with her tears. She noticed that Simon didn't wash his feet, and so she washes his feet with her tears. And then she takes a, an alabaster box full of ointment that probably cost a year's salary, and she's pouring that on him, and she's wiping and anointing him. And the Pharisees get all upset, wasting money. And, and she's, do you know who she is? Because certainly if you knew who she was, she, you wouldn't be permitting this. Basically what Jesus says to them, because she knows she's forgiven, she can't help it. That's edginess. When you are so aware that you are forgiven that which you could never pay for yourself and if left alone will destroy you and your family and your world, if you know that you have been forgiven because Jesus took that upon himself, you won't be able to help it from your generosity, your extravagance, and your edginess. You will get your hands up in the middle of people who don't raise their hands. You'll be praying in the middle of people who don't believe in prayer. And you'll be standing up when everybody else says you ought to sit down. You can't help it. Your heart has been captured by love. And you just can't help it. And the Pharisees wanted her to sit down and quit being extravagant and move out of the way. And let's have a nice little religious discussion right here. It's like... She can't help it. And Jesus' explanation was, Simon, she's been forgiven much. She loves much. You didn't wash my feet. 
You didn't anoint me. You didn't give me a, a special place. You obviously don't love much. So you see, when, when hell attacks sin and says it's no big deal, he's attacking forgiveness and saying that's no big deal. He's attacking the cross and saying that was unnecessary. So he's taking the heart out of the gospel. So we just become nice little church-going people who try to be a little moral, a little bit better than the rest, and fit in so that, so that history will judge us right. That's not, that's not the salvation of the Bible. It's a bigger salvation than that. I also love those two parables Jesus tells about. Uh, and when he's talking about the kingdom, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And he was so excited about that treasure in the field, he went and sold everything he had with joy so he could have enough to buy the field so he could have the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a pearl of great price. He was a pearl trader, and he found one that was worth everything. He went and sold all his pearls, all his jewels, all his diamonds, sold everything so he could buy that one pearl. And in the end, he was happy. That's the nature of the kingdom. That's the nature of those who experience the gospel. That's the way it works. You see, if you're still worried about what I had to surrender to the Lord, what he required me to surrender, you, you don't surrender anything. <laughs> when, you see, when you see the value of that treasure, you gladly give up. Every, you invest everything because you want a higher treasure. And if you're still saying, well, I don't want them about giving up that and giving up my autonomy and giving up my agency, giving up my... <clears throat> you're, you, you hadn't seen the treasure yet. You have no idea what the treasure is. You're still seeing it as some proposition, some transaction. If you'll be good, God will be nice to you. If you'll pray enough, maybe you'll get something. No, 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 no. No, once you discover the treasure, you gladly invest everything to have it. And in the end, you're happy. Full of hope. So let's look at the scripture and see what the nature of this, uh, nature of this salvation is. First Peter. Peter was writing to some elect exiles in the area of what we now call Turkey. And he was uh, telling them about this great salvation, this big salvation that they had gotten. And, and so let, let's read it here. We're closer to done than you think. All that was introduction. But, uh, but the, uh, the message is not as long as the introduction, if that helps you. Uh, First Peter chapter one, are you there? I don't know how y'all get to scripture. Do y'all use your phone? Do you look, you know, put it on the board? You, do y'all own a Bible? Okay, First Peter chapter one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling of His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfaded, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded or kept through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by the various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, yet you believe and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now this is a great salvation compacted in these verses, in this text. And there's so much in every phrase here that we'll not be able to extract all of it. But let me just mention several things here. that, uh, And I want you to notice the lack of uh, propositional stuff here. There's no transaction to be done. He's telling you what God has done. That's the nature of the gospel. It's an announcement of what God has done. And once you hear it, it automatically tells you what you're to do. God says, here's a gift. Well, it's automatic. You either receive it or, or, or reject it. So th this is not propositional. This is not transactional. This is, this is proclamational. So the uh, first thing we notice that's obvious in this whole deal is that it is a God-initiated salvation. It came about because of his mercy. Out of mercy, God chose to save us. Mercy is that, that part of, of reality, that's that nature of God that does for you what you can't do for yourself when you, can't, when you can never do it for yourself. And it only shows itself when you are in a mess. Those who say, I want to know God, but I don't ever want to have a mess in my life, you're contradicting your own prayer. The only time you'll ever see mercy is when you are in a mess, when you can't do it yourself, when you've messed up yourself, when there's no fixing it yourself and nobody but God can fix it, then mercy shows up. So it was out of mercy that God uh, caused us, it says, he caused us to be born into a new realm of reality. We had an old birth. We were born naturally by the sperm of the father and the egg of the mother coming together and producing us. But he said then there came the time when God's word came forth like a sperm. It's, a, it, it's the, the, the seed of God's nature. And he planted that in us so that we would be his children and that we would have a nature like his nature and that because that seed is growing in us, it produces in us people that are in this world and in some ways like this world, but they have a dimension that's way beyond this world. They have been born of the Spirit. Therefore, and he goes ahead to describe the nature of that is it's the same, it's the same uh same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He is the one who comes to live in you. And so when you have been born of the Spirit, the Spirit that you're born of is resurrection power Spirit, and He lives in you to do that in your life, which you could never do just as a 
fallen human. And you see things you could never see just as a human. And you hear things you could never hear as a human. You are now a child of the age to come. The future has broken into the present and it's in you and it will continue to operate in you until the present to the future gets here. There will come a culmination when everything is culminated in Christ's last return. But until then, you are living in the power of this new life that is coming inside of you and giving you abilities and capacities that you did not have before. So that's what he's saying in here. This is this lively hope. You're born again into a lively hope. How did you get there? Well, he said, I, well, I, I, I did some good things, and I, I memorized the Scripture. I went to, uh, uh, I went to Sunday school, and, and I, I was nice to my mean sister, and, and you know, whatever. Uh, no, that's not how you got there. It was out of God's mercy. He saw you in a mess, and he came, and he spoke into your life and, and his, his word is that seed it's that sperma it's the, it comes into our life and as it does it begins to produce in us a new person born again not just to go to heaven born again to express the nature of heaven now on earth that's our privilege now it doesn't diminish heaven it doesn't diminish what's going to happen at the end, no, that's going to be great. It's going to be fulfilled. Everything that we're getting kind of partial now, we're going to get full then. But, but it does mean that we have a salvation that's bigger than just a ticket to go to heaven or just a God saying, okay, uh, if you'll hang on and believe enough and work hard enough, you'll, you'll, you'll make it. It's, it's hard for us not to do that though, isn't it? I mean, it's so, so endemic to our personality, to, to our, our, our human nature to to, to always say, well, look, you know, God's done all these things, but you need to, you need to, you need to. What I want to tell you is that, that salvation is so big, you don't even have to tell people you need to, you need to, you need to. <laughs> Nobody said to the prostitute, you need to wash his feet. You need, you need to anoint him. You need, you need, you. nobody had to tell her she couldn't help it. Nobody had to tell the guy who had the treasure. Hey, you need to, you need to, you need to. It's like, hey, I found something that was worth selling everything for, and it was a joy, it was a pleasure, and I'm happy with it. Are there instructions? Yeah, you, you want to enjoy your, your, your life? Yeah, follow these instructions here. But it's not something that you're doing as a transaction. So he says, this salvation was initiated by God and it is a big package, and there's some of it that is being kept in heaven for you. It's not so much where it's being kept, it's, it's who's keeping it. The powers of heaven are keeping your final salvation, your full salvation. The powers of heaven, which nobody else can get there, it is imperishable, it is undefiled, it, the devil can't get to it, hell has no access to it, the world can't get to it, it is protected by the angels of God. And, and so my salvation is as secure as the power of heaven can control it. So, so I don't live with the doubt of, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, is it going to be there when I get there? What's going to happen when I die? Will, will I have it? Will, will I get to go to heaven? Hey, hey God started it. God sustains it. 
God protects it, and God protects me in the middle of it, and finally God fulfills it and consummates it. God does it all. Well, you, you said, well, if I believe that, I just wouldn't do anything. No, if you believe that, you'd be free to be as passionate as you want to be. You'd be like the prostitutes, like, I can't wait. Anybody else got a year's worth of perfume I can pour on it? So, so this big salvation produces a living hope because we know we already have, it's been given to us and uh, it's kept in heaven for us and we're kept by the power of God. I can't keep myself. If I, if I, if I try to keep myself and promise God that I'm going to do better, I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'm not sure, I, I don't know how, how God responds, but I, you know, I hear myself promising God that I'm going to do better. And, and then I think, I'm glad he didn't strike me down with lightning because he knows. I mean, I got a longer record than most of you. I've been, I've been promising me along, but I, I can't do it. If you'll just help me get through this one more thing, I'll, I'll do better. No, you won't. But I'll tell you one thing. He's never broken one of his promises. So my assurance is not based on my promise to keep myself pure. My assurance is based on his promise that he'll keep me and present me. And that everything, oh, you're not going to believe this now. Everything his blood bought will be redeemed and restored on this earth. See, your big hope is not getting to fly away to some other planet. I mean, there are times I'd like to do that. There have been a couple times this week where it's like, I wonder what's happening on Pluto. I think I could make it. <laughs> Certainly there's not as many problems on Pluto as there are here. No, look, listen to me now. All this is in this passage, and I'm not going to take every phrase apart for you, but I, I double-dog dare you to study the passage and meditate. All, all I'm saying here is in that passage. Everything that sin affected in the fall, Jesus purchased in his death and will be restored eventually on this earth. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we will live forever with God in that. But here's the deal. You already are a new creation right now. And you can live in the old creation with a new creation mentality and with a new creation hope. And because you are a new creation, this old creation does not have the final say in your life. Somebody needs to get a hold of this. Uh, so, it's for now as well as then, but it is for then. While we're in the now, Peter acknowledges there's some trials that come about. But even that, he says, fits into the whole deal because in it, what were you elected for? What were you chosen for? You were chosen for the purpose of demonstrating his glory in the earth and showing this new creation 
reality in the middle of an old creation. So he's saying, the way I get that done is I let you have trials, and in the midst of your trial, the trial purifies the faith, and faith is more important than gold, but purified faith is better than just pure. I mean, just, just uh, purified gold is better than just gold in its ore uh, state, and faith purified by trials is more valuable to you and to God than it was before it was tried. So God is trying your faith and, and how do you know when your faith is, uh, is, is being tried? It says, even though you can't see him, you love him. And even though there's no physical evidence, you trust him. So he lets trials come along. And trials are our opportunity not only to have our faith purified, but to demonstrate the new creation mentality in the midst of an old creation that doesn't get it. When are they going to see any difference in you? When you walk through the fire differently than they do. Not when you don't have any fire. Some of us thought that was part of this package. Like, I'll sign up for salvation. Everything's going to be all right now. No more trouble. Uh, that wasn't a promise. Never was a promise. No, I'll give you a life that fire can't can't extinguish. I'll give you a life that a fire just makes it better. And all those who are watching you get to see, oh, so that's how you walk through the fire. Wow, where do you get that kind of joy? Where do you get that kind of hope? What was it that got to, to Saul of Tarsus? He watched Stephen being persecuted, killed, stoned, and he saw him smile. And he saw him pray for his enemies. And Saul couldn't get it out of his mind. But long before he was converted. So, all right, the last thing. He restores everything he redeems. And here, here's one of the ramifications of that. When God put humans on the earth, he put humans on the earth to be human. He didn't want them to be little gods. He wanted them to be human. He's God. He, he, he's big enough to handle that. So he made humans so that we could relate to God, worship God, enjoy God, and be God's co-laborers on the earth. We were given the job of subduing the earth, being a good steward of the earth. That was our job. Salvation restores you back to that. It's interesting that <laughs> the garden was a big deal, and the Garden of Eden is the beginning. Interesting that uh, Jesus resurrected in a garden. And when he came out of the tomb, Mary, who had gone to check on his dead body, saw him, but she thought he was the gardener. <laughs> he was. And he is. And here's the deal he just made you one. You're a gardener. It's the highest calling there is. I'm a co-laborer with God. God has said, here's the dignity I'll give you on this earth. Every, ooh, everything you do is an expression of me and I'm behind it. And you don't ever do a secular work. Everything you do is eternal. 
Uh, that's what I expected. You don't believe that, do you? No, no, no. So we bought the lie that work is, is a curse. It's a result of the fall. It's a result of the curse. Work is, I have to work to make money. I have to work to survive. I have to work because if I don't, people call me lazy. We got all this bad, bad theology about work. Let me tell you about work. Work is, work is the highest thing we get to do because we do it as co-laborers with God. Interesting that in 1 Corinthians 15, that the most... The, the, the most complex, most dense passage in the Bible <coughs> on resurrection, which is the greatest event in history, Paul is talking about the resurrection of Christ and all the ramifications of it and what happens if you don't believe and how it's the center of, of everything. And he, clo he closes out 1 Corinthians 15 with this. Listen to this. You're, you're, you're absolutely not going to believe this. Therefore, that's always mean. Everything that I've said before now has implications here. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, some of us grew up thinking he was talking about working in church there. That, that's not the work of the Lord. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's not. It's not just that work that's the work of the Lord the whole earth the discovery of all that God put in, the, in creation and the development of it and the use of it all of that is the work of God that's what he put us here for wouldn't it be something if all the members of Indian Creek started taking their work biblically and they started doing everything they do from the moment they made up their bed. Yes, children, make up your bed. Till they brush their teeth. Till they put gas in their car. Till they did the most menial thing possible. Went to school, did their classwork. Went to work, did what they were told. And they, they did it knowing that everything I do is as important as anything the angels are doing in heaven right now. I am a co-laborer with God, and if I speak a word, I speak a word as, as, uh, as one sent by God. And if I do an act, I do it as one of God's servants, one of God's messengers. And everything I do is holy, and everything I do will last for eternity. Do you know that? Because God has restored us back to the original intent, everything you do makes a ripple that goes on for eternity. That's why one of the, one of the reasons for be careful what you do, because if you're doing some things that are destructive, that ripple goes on too. But we have the privilege of doing the work of God. I know you all here believe in evangelism, missions, and all that kind of stuff. If you're concerned that you're not being as good a witness as you ought to be, the best witness you can be in Mineral Wells, Palo Pinto County, is work like a Christian. See, I have a hard time convincing people that don't. Just go to work. And when you work, work with joy. When you work, know that you're representing God. And when you, when you get through with the deal... Sign your name to it knowing that God's signing his name to it.
I don't think y'all are getting what I'm saying. I know we've 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 bought into the whole uh, whole idea that you know I do spiritual work at church and mission fields and stuff like that, and then I do secular work to make a living. No, that's dualism. You might as well be a Greek Greek philosopher. No. This salvation restores you back to being a real human. So I want to be a real human. I want to be God. Oh, well, you got another problem. <laughs> see, I, I, don't, I don't see how you can believe this kind of big salvation and still be hopeless. You see, I got a terrible job. But you're a wonderful person, so you make the job fit you. Everything. Everything in life. So if everything I do 24 hours a day is a holy act, and I'm doing it in the power of God, and I'm doing it for the glory of God, and I'm doing it as a representative of God, then uh, I, 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 don't, I don't see how you could be hopeless. Uh, all right, one scripture, and then we quit. First Peter chapter 4, just a little bit later on in the same text that we're dealing with here. He says, it's in my Bible, I've seen it before. He says this. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. As each one of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Everything we do, we do it in the power of God, for the glory of God, initiated by God, and we are representing him, and everything we do will not be in vain. That's, that's a big salvation. Anybody here today been dealing with some hopelessness? Misery, stress, isolation, loneliness. There's a big salvation for you. And basically all you have to do is go, I need it. And the very fact that you say I need it means that God was working in your heart to get you to say you need it. So just respond to him. Bow your head with me for a moment. I want to pray for you. So I turn it over to Brother Jake. Father, I know you love these people. You've shown how much you love us by sending your son. Thank you that you're here today to meet us where we are. You're not telling us we need to do some things in order to get in a position to be blessed. We're here. We're needy. Your mercy is available. If you might be saying today, if you're, if you're just saying in your heart, you know, 
I think I'd, I think I've settled for a little salvation. And I've got a glimpse today that there may be more to it now and in the future. So Dudley, would you, when you pray, would you just include me? I want my eyes to be opened and see that big salvation. I want to receive that. If that's you, hold your hand up. Just stick your hand up. So, Father, I thank you for these who've lifted their hands and those who wanted to but didn't. I thank you that your salvation covers us when we can't cover ourselves. I ask you, Father, to open the eyes of our heart that we might see how big, how long, how wide, how deep your love is and that it's all directed at us. Thank you for your word today that's like seed planted in our hearts. We receive it as that. I ask you to let it grow. I ask you, Father, to protect your word and not allow the enemy to pull it out of good ground. And I pray that it will bring forth fruit in Jesus' name.